Welcome to Tour Today Ministries and our continuing series called Parsha Seasonings, where we bring out some of the details in the Hebrew words and letters and and the Torah scroll, things that simply don't reveal themselves through our translations. I just want to remind you that this series is called Parsha Seasonings, not Parsha Meals. Uh, this is not to be a substitute for your weekly Torah study. What I'm providing here are just some seasonings to uh, add some flavor to your study. Seasonings enhance the taste of our food and, and also can increase its health. And that's the purpose of these studies. Because I don't know of any other place that's providing these kinds of things on the internet. There, there may be. But uh, I find these details so utterly fascinating. And I find them to be things that just increase my faith and my awe of God. So I hope you'll enjoy these as, I, as much as I enjoy sharing them. Now, one of the things we'll be doing, especially in this Torah portion, is we'll be delving into gematria. Uh, it seems like every week I share a bit of gematria, which is the numerical values of the Hebrew letters. Now, I just want to make sure you understand we're not talking about numerology. Numerology, I don't know much about it, but it's some kind of occult practice used to tell fortunes or predict the future or some nonsense like that. I couldn't care less about this ridiculous stuff, but that is not what we're doing here. God has assigned each letter of the Hebrew alphabet the language of transcendence through which he gives us his scriptures. He has assigned each letter a particular shape, which is a picture. Each letter has a particular sound. Each letter is also a word. Each letter also has a numerical value. And just as the God of the universe who set the sun, moon, and stars in place and created our limbs and the cells of our body and also created the molecules and the atoms and the, the world and its biology. Through all of these things, we see numerical, or I should say mathematical precision. We see mathematical precision in the, the principles that make the sun, moon, and stars revolve and rotate and do this dance together. We see mathematical precision in the cells and in the atoms of our bodies and in everything in God's creation. So should we be surprised to discover that this same mathematical precision flows through his word? I don't think so. It's just, to me, is another indication that these scriptures were written by the same hand that created the universe. So, I hope that that may settle some fears or concerns people have. Nobody has written to me and saying they're concerned or fearful of this. But uh, I have met people in the past who are very leery about gematria. I'm not sure why, because it's something that's beautiful and even practical in our studies. With that said, we don't want to go overboard. What the Word says is what's most important. And these undercurrents of what's going on need to de derive their significance from the message of Scripture and not become some substitute for it. So, let's jump right in. Our passage begins in Genesis 23, verse 1. So, 
if we look at this, it says, and they were the life of Sarah. And then it goes on to tell us she lived for 127 years when she died. Now, no translation translates it this way. And that's because the word order in Hebrew can be kind of odd when compared to the word order in an English sentence. But this is how it is written. Uh, three words to begin. Vayiyu, and they were. Chaye, the life of Sarah. There it is. And then it goes on to give the number of years of her life, 127. So I wanted to try to preserve that word order, and that's why I'm translating it this way. The phrase, and they were, is one word in Hebrew, vayiyu, and here you can see it. And it has a numerical value of 37. Vav, yud, he, yud, vav. Six, ten, five, ten, six. And um, if we, let's see, make sure I'm looking at this right, six or thirty, yeah, 37. And um, the reason this number is significant is for this purpose. If you recall, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Sarah, being 10 years younger, was 90 years old when Isaac was born. So, when Isaac's born, she's 90. And in our verse, we learned that she died at the age of 127. So, how long did she have life with Isaac? 37 years. And the rabbis suggest that when it says, and they were, the life of Sarah, they're saying that those 37 years that she was the mother of Isaac and got to enjoy being a mother, becoming a matriarch of Israel, that that to her was the supreme portion of her life. That was the best. And those 90 years leading up to Isaac's birth were all years of preparation where God took her through experiences of testing her faith, of building her marriage with Abraham, and all the things she went through, the things with Hagar and Ishmael, all of that was preparation for the birth of Isaac. And you know, so many times in our own lives, we spend so much time of preparation, not even sure what we're preparing for, but God takes us through experiences and tests and difficulties and blessings and, and is forming us and training us and raising us up for some special purpose he has for us. I think of Moses. He spent 40 years as a prince of Egypt. And then he fled Egypt and spent 40 years as a shepherd in Midian. You talk about a, a, a career change. And finally, when he's 80 years old, and in his mind, probably close to the end of his life, God calls him. And then in those last 40 years, he uses him to bring Israel out of Egypt, to give them the Torah, Mount Sinai, to guide them through the wilderness, to put up with their moaning and whining. And you think about all that he accomplished in this last chunk of his life. But those first 80 years, which are covered in only two chapters of Scripture, Exodus 1 and 2, we're all preparation for the last 40, which covers all the rest of Exodus, all of Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
So the same might be true in your own life in a similar way. You may spend years in some kind of mundane, dull job thinking, God, what's this all about? Well, just hang in there. If you're doing what God's called you to do, and he hasn't given you any new marching orders, then you're in his classroom. Just trust that you're in his classroom. He's training you, preparing you for something later. So I can't say for sure what the case is in your life, but I can think of long stretches of my life when I went through things that just seemed like a waste of time, only to find out later it was God's preparation for something he wanted for me to do. So just be patient. Wait upon the Lord and he'll lift you up. I promise you. Well, we go on to the next verse, Genesis 23:2. It says, And Sarah died in Kiryat Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her, or and to bewail her. That is one word in Hebrew. And here it is. You can see it. Valiv kotah. Now, what's interesting about this word, you may notice that the fourth letter, this letter kaf right here, is written undersized. It's written small. And that is the way it's written in every Torah scroll in the world. That's the rule. When you come to this word in this verse, you must write that letter kaf, small. And here you can see it. Here's the word valiv kotah. And there you can see that that cough that is reduced in size. That's the way it's written. And so what's going on here? Well, the letter cough means the palm of the hand. And it is shaped like this, like a, a backward letter C. And it represents a hand holding on to something. And it, the sages tell us that when we're grieving, as Abraham was here in this verse, God's hand can seem very small in your life. God may seem very far away, and it may seem like as he's taken his hands off of things, but his hand's still there, even though it feels reduced in size. So whenever I read this verse and I come to this word, I remind myself of this. But even God, though God's hand may feel small, it's still there. He's still God, and his grip is just as strong. But something else interesting occurs. If we take the three letters before the cough, valev, it means and the heart. Heart is lev, lamed bet. And if we take these three letters, we make a slight rearrangement. We derive two words. Valev huchat, which means, and the heart is crushed. And this may be a second reason why this letter is written small. It's as if God is calling us to look deeply into this word, and you'll discover some insights. So even if your heart is crushed right now, and God's hand seems very small, it's a temporary state of affairs. And God's hand is still there. I can't remind you of that enough. It's still there and it's still strong, even though you can't feel it as well. Reality is reality, regardless of what we feel about it. So don't measure reality by what you feel. You 
embrace reality by what is said in the Word of God, for His Word is truth. And reality is truth. Truth is reality. Feelings, though, are a a very poor instrument for trying to access truth. So let's move on. In Genesis 23, verse 19, um, it says, After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And if you take that verse in Hebrew, just as it appears in your Hebrew Bible, and you work out the numerical value of all the letters in that verse and add them up, it has a total value of 4,970. Now, what's interesting is there is another verse in the Torah that has that same numerical value. And as far as I know, it's the only other verse with this exact value. And it is later in Genesis, in chapter 47, verse 30. And this is Jacob on his deathbed. And he has Jacob make him, I'm sorry, has Joseph make him a promise. And Jacob says, and I will lie with my fathers, excuse me, carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. What is their burying place? The cave of Machpelah. By this time, Abraham and Sarah are buried in that cave. And then uh, Isaac and Rebekah are buried there. And then Jacob, the son of Isaac, asked Joseph to make sure you carry me there and bury me there as well. Because Leah was already buried there and Jacob wants to be buried there as well. And he answered, Joseph answered, I will do as you have said. So this verse, which also speaks of a burial in Machpelah, also has a numerical value of exactly 4,970. Again, you see this mathematical precision where God takes something here and something that happened many years later that has to do with burial in this cave. And he's saying these things are connected and he makes them come out to precisely the same numerical value. I just stand in awe of such a God. Now, if we continue on into chapter 24 and verse 1, it says, Now Abraham was old. Well advanced in years, and Adonai had blessed Abraham in everything, or with everything. And that is one word in Hebrew, it's bakol. The letter bait, when it's attached to the front of a word, means in or with. And the word kol means everything. Now what we're going to do, we're going to cross off the bait, because that's a preposition. And the word for Everything is the word coal. And that word coal, which is found many times in Scripture, has numerical value of 50. 50 happens to be the numerical value of the word bin, which means son. And the rabbis for centuries have seen in this verse that in Abraham's mind, his only begotten son, Isaac, was everything, everything to him. And so they look in this word bakol and they see numerically it means with a son. He's blessed me with a son. That son is everything to me. Now, if you think in this way, then Abraham's effort to obey God by taking his son uh, Isaac up to the mountain to offer him 
was like Abraham giving everything to God. And he was willing to do that because he loved God so much. Well, let's go on a bit further. Chapter 24 is a beautiful chapter, amazing chapter. And this is the chapter where um, Abraham commissions his servant to go, Eliezer, to go into the land of Abraham's birth and to call a bride for his son Isaac. This is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, chapter 24. And you've probably heard sermons on this, and if not, well, here's the way you need to read this chapter. Eliezer, which means God helps, was commissioned by Abraham to return to his homeland to find a bride for his only begotten son, Isaac. Sound like a familiar theme? Because it says, what has God the Father done? He has sent his spirit, his helper, into the world. And during these 2,000 years, that helper is calling a bride from among the Gentiles to become a bride of the only begotten son, Yeshua. And there are so many types and pictures and connections and parallels that I don't have time to get into them here. You can go to one of the teachings I've done on this on the BethTakun.com website, and uh, I lay out as many parallels as I have found, and there are many there. And it is an incredibly beautiful chapter. And this story, which comprises this chapter, deserves to be the longest in the book of Genesis. So, with that said, we're going to go on to chapter 25, verse 12. And it says, these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. Now, I've mentioned before a few times that uh, Isaac is referred to as Abraham's only begotten son. Uh, in Genesis 22, when God calls Abraham to offer up Isaac, he says, Take your son, your only begotten, whom you love, Isaac. So why does God refer to Isaac as Abraham's only begotten son? Because Abram was the father of Ishmael. But Abram's name is changed to Abraham when God takes one of the letters of his name, the letter He, and places it in Abram. And Abraham became the father of Isaac. But the physical realm we realize that from this man, Abraham, there were two sons who came forth. But if you want to speak spiritually, Abram was the father of Ishmael, but Abraham was the father of Isaac. So anyways, uh, it, these are the generations. The word for generations in Hebrew is the word toldot. Toldot, generations. It's a common word in the Torah. But here, and only here in the scriptures, do we find it misspelled. Misspelled like this. It's missing two letters. This is the way it should be spelled. Tav Vav Lamad Dalit Vav Tav. There should be two Vavs there, and I've marked them in red. But those two Vavs are missing. What's going on? Why is the word Toldot generations in reference to Ishmael, written with two missing vavs. Well, the theory is this. 
since the letter Vav equals 6, and since there are two Vavs missing, we're missing a 12 from this. We're missing a 12. So why would that be? Well, if you go on to the next verse in this passage, you'll find that Ishmael had 12 sons. And just as Jacob is going to have 12 sons, Ishmael here has 12 sons. Each of them becomes a tribe of Ishmael, of the Arabic nations. But in the word toldot, we see the 12 missing. We see the vav and the vav missing from this word. It's misspelled, it's shortened. It's because these 12 sons of Ishmael are not what God's focusing on in his word. Whereas the toldot, the 12 sons of Jacob, these are what God does focus on. So here, when it refers to the generations of Ishmael, it's reduced. But when we talk about the toldot of Jacob, it's expanded and spelled in full. So again, just a few seasonings, a few spices for your Torah study. There are others, many more I'm sure, that have not yet been discovered. But I hope these have been a blessing to you. But remember, this is not a substitute for studying the Torah in detail each week. This is just some salt and pepper sprinkled on top to make it a little tastier. So with that, I wish you shalom and may God bless. Over and out.